0: Hey, Welcome to the podcast at Ingoal Radio, the podcast. Aaron Millard, along with Kevin Woodley. Uh, David Hutchison is on assignment this week, and we have a great one for you. Coming up today, we'll spend some time at the hockey shop uh, over at thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey, and chat about some demo equipment that is for sale. Cam's got a couple of cool setups for us. And on the Sense Arena feature interview, the uh, life adventures of. Playing in the National Hockey League, carving your way around professional hockey with Troy Grosnick, who goes from uh, Southern California to Northern Alberta and back. And boy, oh boy, along with the uh, just going on the ice and doing your thing and doing your job, the idea of uh, traveling through weather in uh, winter, in the middle of winter is, uh, well it's dicey at times and Troy is gracious enough and honest enough to walk us all the way through it. As uh, Let's catch up with uh, Woody. How are you doing over there as we pass the 10 game mark of the National Hockey League season for everybody?
1: I'm trying to figure it out Darren. I'm t- we're, we're, we're starting to get enough sample size that we can start to judge some of these uh, performances and yet it's all over the map watching goalies. Like I mean obviously we watch games and highlights and you know, great saves and, and all those moments. That's what we're trying to on, drill down on. Who's using what technique? And by the way, Troy Grosnick is great talking about different techniques and adapting them. But then you look at the numbers, and I'm like, my God. Frederick Anderson, for example, leads the league in wins now after picking up his ninth last night against Montreal. He's barely rocking a 900. And then you got guys playing in other divisions. Like, how are we comparing these guys this year, Darren? I can't. Um, I have sight Analytics. Thank God for Stephen Valaket giving me a peek under the hood because you can actually weight shot quality. But in a year where teams aren't ever going to play each other, in a year where the North Division goalies are looking at, you know, Carey Price faced Martyrs and Matthews last night. Tonight, the Canadians played McDavid and Dreisaitl and they're doing it 10 times a year. The top eight or nine goal scorers in the National Hockey League are all from the North Division. Half the teams don't, defense is just merely a suggestion, and you've got all these elite top-end snipers. I don't know how we're going to weight performances among goaltenders this year.
0: So do you think that the Canadian goaltenders will get a bump because they're playing all the top scorers, or do you think it will hurt the Canadian goaltenders when it comes to something like the Vesna Trophy? Oh, it's gonna
1: hurt him for sure. Like, I mean, in some ways, the voters, and let's be honest, like this is GMs on this one, and there's been times where we've been openly critical because they overvalue wins uh and raw save percentage numbers. Um, so maybe maybe wins will matter. Like maybe they'll look like at, at Freddie Anderson and say, well, yeah, he's got a 905, but look what he's playing behind him. Maybe they will And look what he's
0: playing against. Like that that that
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 actually because they've been a little better defensively as a team, but maybe they'll look at at. You know, they'll they'll use their access, the teams that have it, to some of these advanced numbers and and try and actually weight shot quality and having to face some of these guys every night. Maybe they will. My hunch is they won't. Like my hunch, like you're not getting uh you're not winning the Vesna trophy with a 905. Not when you got guys around the league posting a nine thirty. And to be honest, the way the way Andre Vasilevsky has started this year, it's probably a moot point. Like, folks, if you're betting futures, you know, I know the odds will he'll probably have the the lowest odds um but i'd still put my money like right now you still win <laughs> it's, it's yeah exactly it's slam dunk time right like anything can happen and, and all the but like he's slam dunk right now like he's rocking a great save percentage he's winning every time he's out there um you know they got some lesser lights in their division and these reshaped divisions that they're just pounding on like this is it's it's gonna be hard i i really don't have the answer in terms of how like Connor hellebuck to repeat he's actually having a good year one of, he's there's two goalies in the North Division in the top twenty five of the NHL in say a percentage. And five of the top eight point getters are from the North. And and like I said, top eight or maybe nine now with Josh Anderson scoring last night. Like literally the top nine goal scorers in the NHL are all from the North. So But do you think managers um, look
0: that deep into it?
1: I don't, which is why I think they're in trouble. Like I think you, like yeah. uh, I think it's going to be tough for a guy from the north to win the Vezina, especially if there's guys in other divisions posting nine thirties and and GMs aren't looking yeah. at you know relative safe. Yeah, and how
0: much is a manager from one division really watching uh, the other three? I know, I know that they do. I know that they do, but I'm talking about goaltending specific.
1: Honestly, they're probably like all of us. Like I yeah. just, I think you know, it's I feel and and. You know, maybe the fact that I'm making this argument for North Division goaltenders reiterates it, but I feel like you're almost in a bubble. And yes, no, I, I watch other games, and I watch. I I watch the Golden Knights. I love how Flowers playing right now. I'm trying to watch all these things, but with so many games, just even covering the local team, like the Canucks played 16 games in 27 nights these past two days. Like right now, we're we're this is game day for them. Heading, you know, Jacob Markstrom's return to Vancouver. There's another guy that could be in that conversation, um, but Jacob Markson's return to Vancouver. We're coming off of two days off for the Canucks. They had Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday off. Like they practiced, but they didn't play a game. Vacation a first time, first time all season where they have had two days between games, and and we're more than a month in, into the schedule. So. Just because the the day job means covering that and watching that, it's hard to keep up with anything else. And in my sense is others around the league are finding the same thing. It's hard to look outside their own little comp or their own division.
0: And that's why when things start to go sideways a little bit, if you're on a schedule like that, it's really hard for a coach or a goaltender or uh, a player to turn it around because you're, you're just going out. You don't have that little break to step away. Uh, what about this uh, when you talk about the Vesna Trophy winner and, and potentially the the managers trying to keep uh, keep up with things. For a one-year only, we have four finalists instead of three, like one nominee from each division. And that, and then we can kind of prop up the numbers and give uh, the managers, uh, whether it's uh, the National Hockey League does it or somebody like Ingle does it, uh, gives the managers a little bit of a, a foundation to evaluate head-to-head just uh, for one year only.
1: I love the idea and I love the idea of using numbers like like you know create some of these comparisons use a, use a you know clear sight analytics and Stephen valakette's company like to me there's they weigh more factors to determine shot quality than anyone else out there so present that present that case what is you know we can't there are intangibles you can't account for but we can account for a lot of things so let's have a better comparison of the top four before we cast our vote just based on raw numbers and listen a lot of there are a lot of gms you got to give them credit not only will they do it their homework but some of them that maybe will admit that there is levels to this homework that they're unprepared to do they're not getting an a on this project they'll create a group project they'll talk to their goalie coaches they'll ask them for opinions and not just opinions based on hey what do you think you watch goalies but opinions based on you know, you guys have access to these numbers, you use these numbers, can, can we come up with a better way of looking at it? But even there, I think that's harder this year, because of course a goalie coach Absolutely. is breaking down film of goalies from other, when in a regular season, they have to play event. everybody comes through Vancouver, everybody has a game here, they do their work on both goalies, they do their preparation, they watch video, they create a pre-scout. They don't have to this year. Like, you're not wasting your time on the Vancouver Canucks, Braden Holtby, and Thatcher Demko if you're playing in the States right now because you don't have to worry about them in, unless you make it to, you know, conference final level. So why would you waste that time? Whereas every other year, all these goalie coaches would have that information and have done their homework. You know, to me, you're right. Like, pick, pick one of each. Like, there's probably going to be a few where you could have two candidates in a division, but, you know, yeah. Um, Pick one of each and then, and then actually give them time to drill down and do their homework and, and figure
0: out which who's the best. I like it. Great idea. For 2021, four Vesna finalists, and we provide uh, support and statistical evidence uh, for their performances presented by Ingle magazine as uh, propped up by the uh, evidence of Clearsight Analytics. That's, that, that's, I like my, it. that's my plan. That's my plan. Uh, the hockey shop, uh, thehockeyshop.com source for sports Surrey. Cam's got a lot going on over there.
1: Yeah. You know, we talked, uh, over the past couple of weeks about, um, you know, some of the sale items, uh, we're into the new stuff. We've had it on the ice with the hockey shop. Well, your Bauer Hyperlight really exciting line this year. CCM e five, some great innovations there. Uh, we've taken a deep dive on that stuff already. We're preparing for that launch at the end of the month, but in the meantime, you can get savings on all their, you know, past models that they still have around need to sort of Clear out the old to make way for the new, and let's be honest, the, the old is good stuff too. This is this is top of the line, pro-end gear, some of it up to 40 50% off. Uh, anything that's not on sale, make sure you use the Ingold 20 discount to get yourself a deal anyways. Um, sticks, things like that. We talked about the Warrior uh, V1 stick line. Still a lot of those left, uh, and heavily discounted as they make room for, for next year's model. So a lot of really good product on really good deals, and... Coming up this Friday, February 12th, the annual demo sale. Yes. Now, COVID has changed things a little bit for us. Um, You know, you, you, you haven't been able to take the gear out like you would in the past. And that's what makes the hockey shop great. They actually have loaner sets where you can sign out a gear, like not just get into the shop, put it on your leg, pull a Woody, grab all the gloves off the wall and flap them around, see what closes and feels good. You can actually take it out on the ice and play. They actually purchase a demo fleet each and every year little tougher this year with regulations and, and COVID and potential for germs. But they still have a lot of sets that were ordered for that purpose from last year that are now going to be on sale this Friday, February 12th. Uh, you can check them out in-store if you happen to be from the lower mainland or for sure online at hockeyshop.com. And we're going to actually now chat with Cam about a couple of those special sets because uh, they got some NHL goalie names
0: on them and one of them is really unique. Here is Cam and Woody. The demo sales coming up at Source for Sports, Surrey, The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com.
1: Welcome back to The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, where we're in goalie utopia with Cam Matwiv, who suddenly thinks he's Braden Holtby. And you can be too, because it's time for the annual demo sale at The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. And headlining a deep list of products this year, a set of CCM e 4 made for Braden Holpe. Cam, walk us through the Holpe set, what makes it unique, and then some of the other specials that you've got on this week, some of the other gear that will be available, including a set of Bowers pads for yes, Frederick Anderson.
2: Yes, we got quite a few uh, highlights uh, for our demo sale this year. Uh, what you called up first, the CCM, uh, E-Flex 4 set that was made for Hopi when he was playing for the Capitals. Uh, this set featured 580 glove, uh, which he uses in his hang- angle. Um, quite an extensive mod list to the pads, uh, one of which, um, especially is worth calling out the toe cap in particular that you've seen on, on his pads for a number of years. Tight fit leg channel, but still featuring the leather straps. Sorry, super tight fit leg channel in particular. Um, tight fit knee. 34 plus 2 is his size. Uh, One of the other notes, even with the blocker, that doesn't get talked about too much. He's removed the backhand pad on the blocker itself, so it creates a little bit more of a looser fit. Um, Good freedom of motion in it. Um, Something pretty unique. um, Your chance to own an NHL Pro Quality set. And that toe cap, we've seen it over the years, Kim. uh, It is quite unique to still have that, to have that bridge to actually
1: have the gap. Um, over top of the top of the skate, and basically what it does, if you've seen in place in close-ups of those pads, is it creates a super flexible boot that almost melts around the top of the toe of the of the skate.
2: Very I mean, reminiscent sort of some older Vaughn pads that you see.
1: All right, moving on. Let's uh, let's quickly walk us through the Frederick Anderson Bauer set that you've got here, and then let's highlight some of the other ones that are available.
2: All right, another very very unique custom pad. Um, this pad itself. It- 1S, 2S chassis um, featuring still the 1S style strapping, 1S style calf plate that's uh, offset and set into the pad a little bit more, screwed on tow bridge, which again, something you don't normally see, especially for barrow pads, um, and a custom rotation strap that you don't see something in retail normally either. So um, the pad itself, very quite custom, uh, size large, pretty flexible and stiff all at the same time um good overall feel something definitely very unique and again your chance to be yours
1: what else we got because this is just these are the highlight these are the ones that have nhl names on them but i was in the back room i saw how deep this inventory runs uh what other items can people find at the hockeyshop.com during the demo sale
2: very lightly used pair of v8 pro carbons 34 plus two beautiful looking set a uh, few sets of CCM eFlex pads uh, or in our black and red or our own personal Dumbalfreet. Uh, we've got a few sticks as well. Uh, a couple chest plates that will be on for sale. Lots of gloves. Um, a couple dirt cheap Brian's pads that have been left over for a little while. One set that's completely unused that I think it's going for under 300 bucks for a full set. Um, beyond that, I think you're going to have to stay tuned and check it out on this Friday, the 12th, February 12th. Um, we were going to go live up uh, on the uh, website Uh, you'll be able to check out uh, there you'll be able to see everything um, and make your purchases online Um, this will be something that's available in store as well but uh, however we would like you to check it out online first.
1: HockeyShop.com and if they have any questions like for example you know particulars about the Braden Holtby pads more information
2: um, where can they find you Cam? They can find me at 604-589-8299 and those international listeners, including the ones in the States, 1-800-567-7790. I don't need your help today, Hut. Or Surrey. <laughs> yeah, she was chirping you
1: good last week. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I've never heard an Apple product that upset. Quite rude. Cam, thank you very much for walking us through the demo sale. Everyone else, make sure you check it out. Like he said, this Friday, February 12th, everything goes live tons of options tons of great savings here at the hockey shop source for sports and thehockeyshop.com
2: thanks kev
0: you know it'd be so cool to be able to skate onto the ice with with holpy on, on the side of your pads. like that's just a really neat thing
1: well and and toe caps like darren i had to actually you know <laughs> do a second take on that read because i couldn't remember what they were called like like who has toe caps anymore? But Braden loves the way that that sort of that cutout section and just a, just a slab of leather over top of it. Just that that pad just melts over the top of his skate. Right. So um, it's it's a very unique setup. Uh, the super tight leg channel, folks, make sure, you know, if you're you just listen to that and you're trying to picture it. Remember, we'll have the simulcast up uh, at ingolmag.com on the, on the episode page. We'll have the YouTube embedded or you can go to our YouTube page or check out our IGTV. And you'll see video. Um, check out Ingold Premium as well. I think we're going to post a quick story there as well, just where you can actually see just how unique this setup is. Like that super tight leg channel in there. It's, I guess the best equivalent I can think of for people is like an old school Von V2. Like it mm-hmm. really is an inside leg channel that is just wrapped right around the calf. And that's the, you know, braden has got a little old school in him. He likes to feel that softer pad how does it up against affect his rotation? leg amazingly if you watch him play like i've never seen rotation be an issue for Braden. so um you know i think the one thing is you have that connection uh to that really tight inside leg channel and if you've ever met Braden off the ice like Braden is uh you know what's the best description he's farm boy thick (laughs) like he's a guy that you know what i mean like he's like he's a really big like muscular strong guy those aren't like those aren't chicken legs that are squeezing into those uh those tight calf wraps but they're not They're not like there's no Velcro around that calf wrap to sort of like suck you in and hold you in. Right. There's still some freedom of movement within it. So you create that connection without locking it. And I think that still allows the pad. There's only a couple of guys that use it. Um, Obviously, Semyon Barlamov uh, with the Islanders has switched over to true, but still would have been built by Lefebvre. Those were the two guys that I knew of that were using that super tight leg channel. I'll tell you one quick story. Jacob Markstrom, when he first arrived in Vancouver from Florida, had a super tight leg channel from CCM in his pads. And I remember asking him, like, because all his straps were done up super loose. And I'm like, like, dude, you're like, like, there's three guys in the league that use this. Why are you using it? And he didn't know. He's like, that's just how they sent it. Yeah. So needless to say, as he said, In Clark sort of educated him here in Vancouver about how your gear works a little bit more and how to make it work for you. Uh, the super tight is gone from Jacob Markstrom's
0: setup. We have our feature interview with uh, Troy Grossnick coming up, brought to you by Sensorina. Arena. But first, uh, talking about uh, the working on on the visual part of the game, we've talked a lot about, uh, at times, uh, the mental part of the game. Uh, we had uh, an example of both coming into play this week in the National Hockey League with Tuka Rask actually going to the bench late in a game against the New York Rangers uh, for the extra attacker. And he got all the way to the bench. The problem was the game was tied, uh, and he just he admitted that he he blanked. He he thought they were down down a goal in that, and there was a couple of reviews in that game that took a long time. Like it was it was a strange third period, but the bench just waving him back like, "What are you doing here? Go go!" And and I went back and watched it again, and he was signaling to the bench, wondering why why they weren't paying attention to him, wondering when he was going to be called to the bench. Uh, I know it's happened before, but boy, it's funny when it, when it does happen. And you know what? And it just goes to show you, like
1: I mean, obviously things didn't go poorly for them, but just the way he was able to laugh at all. Like it, just, okay. like it yeah. was a perfect Tuca moment because he wasn't phased by it at all. Like not rattled. In. Matter of fact, that was a stolen win for the Bruins uh, mm-hmm. last night against the Rangers. Like he was good as he always is. Blows me away. There are, there are two Carrasquators in Boston because this guy, when he does hang them up, is going straight into the freaking Hall of Fame. Like he's that good, his numbers and just his ability to sort of, you know, he laughed it off after. And we've had, we've all had those moments at work where I do it every once in a while where, you know, you, you make the same mistake over whether it might even be a name spelling, which is a cardinal sin in my industry as a writer, but you do it once, you see it and it looks right to you. And it just, yeah. So, you know, so at some point in that game, it was two to one to him and there was nothing that, Clicked that it wasn't. Yeah. And so that was the mindset. And we've all done it in our jobs. We just don't all play in front of a live national television audience. So <laughs> I, I just thought the way he handled it was great.
0: Uh, and this, Connor Hellebeck had the, uh, the strange goal against the Calgary Flames go in. Uh, the, the Tuka Rask situation. It's, it's humbling to watch these guys at the top of the game. Like It happens to all of us.
1: Right. And their ability to on that stage, again, to just sort of absorb it, accept it and move on is probably one of the reasons. And this is one thing Troy talks about the work ethic of Jonathan Quick and, you know, that he shouldn't have been surprised by it because the guys that get to that level all have that in common. He's been nine years in the league and he sees it so many times with all the top guys. And, you know, so there are certain things that are just true of all these guys. The ability to move on from those moments
0: is definitely one of them. It's all part of the journey, which uh, Troy Grosnick takes us on in the Sense Arena feature interview. Uh, you want to set this up for us? Well, before we get to the
1: interview, we got to talk about something special we got coming up with Sense Arena as well. Because the reason Hutch is on special assignment this morning, and we have absolutely buried him in work on this one, he's preparing for a webinar. Remember those? We used yes. to do those in goal in person. They're back. Uh, we're going to have one this Sunday. The time is still a little to be determined in part because we've got a pro goaltender joining us for this webinar. And they had a practice, what was supposed to be a day off, is now a practice day, world of COVID, things change fast, mm-hmm. so we're shifting the time. Make sure you check your email, check out all the InGoal social media channels, check out InGoal Premium for a firm time, but it will be this Sunday, and yes, we realize that that is Valentine's Day. Um, So make sure you, you get mom or your better half breakfast in bed early. We're probably going to be, you know, late, late morning to like noon, depending on your time zone, maybe a little early afternoon in some places. And we are going to walk you through with video the entire sort of how this works. We've got Bob Tativa from Sensorina. We've had a lot of questions uh, about Sensorina. We've had a lot of people that just buy in and we get the feedback. They're like, wow, the best purchase I've ever made. Like, can't believe what a difference this makes. As, as, as Hutch's son, Maddie said, it's a cheat code. Um, so a lot of positive feedback on the product right up to pro level. But there's still some people that, you know, maybe don't understand all the things it does. Hutch talked last week about, you know, the, the cognitive training tools that are built in. You know, people have subscriptions to other services that are all about, you know, training the eyes, training the brain. Well, those things are all part of Sensorena as well. So we're going to have Bob on. We're going to have a pro goalie on. We're going to have Hutch with a ton of video he's preparing right now to actually, as best we can, because nothing is as good as putting on that headset and feeling like you're there. It's, it's yeah. absurd how real it feels. But as best we can, we're going to take you into the environment and show you all the different features in a one-hour webinar. So if anybody has any questions still about it, uh, now is the time to sort of check it out. And, uh, you know, special little tease. I talked about it last week. There's going to be a heck of a special as well uh, surrounding this for, for our in-goal audience in terms of getting a discount if you, if you decide after seeing all these features that now's the time
0: you want in on Sense Arena. So we've talked about it a lot. You've probably witnessed uh, a few of the clips on social media and been able to uh, see what exactly happens. And you've been to the website for Sense Arena and you've watched some of that. But uh, on Sunday, you're going to get a real deep dive into exactly what this product gives you from a virtual reality point of view.
1: Yeah. And you're going to get to ask questions too. So, you know, if you've got some questions about, you know, how this works, how that works, um, like I said, we'll have Bob Tativa, we'll have Hutch, uh, we'll have uh, a pro goaltender who's become an avid user of it there to sort of walk you through it and answer your questions. And of course, Hey, when we got a pro goaltender on, it means there'll be an opportunity for a little Q and a session. You know, if there's
0: some other questions you've got outside of sensor and you'd be able to run those by them as well. Outstanding. Uh, looking through, uh, uh, your eyes in the virtual reality world. Uh, in our feature interview brought to you by Censorina, we will uh, examine the world through the eyes of Troy Grosnick, who has certainly uh, saw a lot of it recently.
1: Okay, so the last time we talked to Troy Grosnick on the Ingo Radio podcast, he'd recently signed with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, we were in the off-season, the Strangers of Off-Seasons. He was sharing stories about, you know, going to the rink and getting changed in the parking lot with a bunch of NHLers like they were peewee kids again. It was great. Here we are a few months later, and he's been to camp with the Kings. Then he's been to Edmonton, claimed off waivers by the Oilers. And now he's back with the Kings. But that journey, Troy, like there's so much to catch up on. Let's, let's, let's start with, before we get to the adventures, of waiver World and of driving and of seeing a lot of the countryside camp. What was the first camp where the Kings like, uh, Billy Ranford, a chance to meet him and work with him. What's it, what, what's at least that part been like to date?
3: Uh, it was great. Like, um, just starting to establish, I mean, we had I'd been able to be on some like zoom meeting calls, um, with the, kind of like King's like goalie department and some of the young prospects over the summer, which was great just to kind of get names, to faces and just to be able to talk about goaltending stuff um, within the organization was awesome. And then um, obviously, you know, physically being here and being able to work on some of the things that we talked about and um, a few, you know, just a few other things like being actually being able to get on the ice with, with Billy and Matt. Um, you know, and the other goalies here, quickie and Cal and Maddie V and and Iggy. And it so it was awesome just to like have that feel of like the the goalie union back together, you know, in uh not just on Zoom, but but physically together. And um it was a lot of fun just to be able to get out there and, and work on some things and you know, Billy. Billy, like, had a had a few things for me to work on and a uh, few few new things that, um, you know, s- some post-play things and behind-the-net play things that um, were new to me and, and you know, always wanted to be kind of learning and, and growing um, as a goalie. Like, it was just cool to be able to, to try to get that extra tool in the toolbox. And uh, so the, the few weeks that I was here during camp, a lot of it was uh was focused on that. And um, you know, it was it was just uh being able to be on the ice with with a guy like Jonathan Quick, who uh, you know, as an American goalie, like um and a and a college route goalie. Um, you know, Quickie's kind of one of the best to ever do it. So he was a guy that I mean, when he when he broke into the league, I was a little bit older, I would say, like in my development. I don't know. The exact years, but it seems like, you know, it would have been like when I was in junior college, when when Quickie was kind of coming into the league and uh, and then winning cups. Um, but obviously, that that time frame is when uh, you know it really clicked into me. Like playing pro hockey was a possibility, and and you look at the guys that kind of took the same route as you, so. Um, quickie is obviously one of the most successful to do it. So just being on the ice with a guy like that, um, that kind of went through the same steps that you did through your pro career. I mean, that was just kind of a, you know, even as a, as a pro goalie, like that was a little bit of a pinch yourself moment too.
1: I was going to say, I mean, and the other guy there, Cal Peterson, who same path, right? NCAA and into pros and, you know, having a hell of a start to his young career as well. Did you guys talk at all about that? Like, I mean, we've never talked about sort of the rise of USA hockey from a goaltending department. We had Spencer Knight and Dustin Wolf on after they won a gold medal. Like how much pride do you take in seeing the growth of the goaltending position in America over, you know, during the course of your career?
3: Yeah, I guess I, I never really thought a ton about it, but uh, it's definitely something cool because I, I think like, and just trying to like think back, I, I don't know if I've ever had an American as a goalie partner in my pro career, like unless just for like a couple games, like like Parker Gahagan for a few games in in San Jose. Um, but yeah, like thinking back on it like that, like it's uh, you know it's it's pretty cool. Um, and like I said, like. For me, like obviously, we're all American, Quickie, uh, Quickie, Cal, and I. But like the the thing that uh, it, it was the college route that that drew me to watching guys like Quickie and like growing up in Wisconsin, like watching Brian Elliott, um, guys like that were always guys that I kind of followed. Um, even though even though L's, L's is Canadian, but I think right, yeah, he, he's not American.
1: He's got that moose on the mask. I'm pretty sure that comes from there's yeah. there's a, if you, if you have if if your moose emblem is tied to somebody you know who does moose calls, that's like one of those. The, you're yeah, a red jacket. Can- you're a Canadian. If
3: yeah, either that or you're from way up there in Minnesota or something like that. True, true. But uh, yeah, no, I I like definitely uh definitely kind of like the guys that played at Wisconsin and um, you know all growing up like Cujo, Mike Richter, um, those types of guys were guys that I always, you know, kept an eye on just because I remembered the name Scrum, Wisconsin. And then obviously getting in more into hockey is always kind of like what pro guys played college. And um so it it's kind of the you know, you can look for um just similarities in, in your game and your path and your story and uh you know, that kind of makes it cool. Like Cal Cal's a little bit younger than me. Um, and so I, I've known Cal a little bit. We we skate once in a while. Uh we kind of have a mutual group of guys that we skate with in the summer and sometimes our skates overlap. Um so I knew Cal a little bit before I even signed here. Um, but yeah, just like quickie quickie, you know, being a guy that had I mean, guys won two cups, like it's and he played college hockey i mean at umass which isn't that far from union and um you know it's just kind of it's kind of cool just to see how he goes about his uh his daily things and just to be able to bounce a few ideas um off of him and just see how he he kind of uh thinks about different situations
1: well, it's funny because you mentioned, just to, to tie it quickly back to the the American and, and coming through the, the college route, even Matt Millar, the goalie coach uh, yeah. for, for you guys in the development side. Like, same thing, yeah. right? He's from California native, El Segundo, and, and, and played college hockey up, I believe, in, in Minnesota area. So yeah, he played,
3: I know he played at Bethel. Or yeah. Did he coach at Bethel? He coached at Bethel for a while, too. Um, yeah, he played at I, Dakota
1: College at Botineau, which uh, and then University of Minnesota Crookston, and then Bethel University for two years, and then, like you said, went into coaching.
3: Yeah. So yeah, Bethel. I know Bethel. Actually, one of my best friends growing up went to Bethel. Played at Bethel for a couple years. Um, I think he might have might have just missed Maddie, but um, yeah, Bethel is a a place. It's I mean. 30, 40 minutes from where I live now. So um, small world. It, it is a small world.
1: Now, quickie, you get on the ice with them. You talked to you talked a, a bit there about, you know, new tools in the toolbox with Billy Ramford and some post play stuff. Jonathan's a guy who, you know, at least in terms of popularizing things like reverse VH in the NHL, like not only was he winning a cup first to two in 2012, but that was sort of the first guy that at least brought it into the mainstream in the NHL. It existed elsewhere before people were trying it and using it, but that cup run sort of cemented it as, you know, I remember other goalie coaches around the NHL at that point saying, I I need to learn this. So you get on the ice with him. You know, what kind of things are you learning from him? Anything surprise you about the way he handles things? Don't have to be giving away technical tips, but just even from a mindset, the way he handles his business.
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean, he works he works his butt off. Like, first of all, like, I mean, I think that's being around pro hockey as long as I've been, that's not like a, it's not a shocker at all, but, you know, you see a guy who, um, you know, he's never, he's never, you know, Billy could have tapped me on the pads and said, okay, like go in, like for the next, the next rep, take him out. But like, if that last puck go in, there's no way. Quickie's coming out. Like he's he's staying in until he he gets the stop, you know? And um just the work ethic, like even as a pro, like still kind of like, you know, it it, it takes you it takes you like, hey, like this guy, like he's earned everything he's gotten. You know, that's that's kind of the biggest takeaway I think with Quickie um for me without getting into too many technical things. Like there's obviously Quickie plays a way that Um, not a lot of other people can, uh, is the best way to describe it to me. And, but he also plays the way that's best suited to him. So it's, it's the whole thing. Like there's no one way to do it. And Quickie's way is going to be different than my way. And my way is going to be different than Cal's way, but there's still ideas. Um, maybe that you kind of come up with on your own or, um you know just from working on with different coaches and stuff that you might not have been exposed to so being able to bounce those ideas off of each other i think is huge and like i said like some of the post play stuff and behind the net play stuff is stuff that it was never what's the best way to put it it's similar to things that i have been um exposed to before but it's not the same and just being able to talk through the reasoning of doing certain things behind the net without giving too much away for certain in certain situations and the positives and negatives of doing it, almost realizing the negatives of doing it is almost more important because it allows you to realize what areas might be exposed when something goes a little off. And that can be in the back of your mind and just know like, I've got to cover that quickly if something goes wrong.
1: It's, it's, this is goaltending in a nutshell, right? Like everything you do, there's a yin and a yang. There's a give and a take. There's a sliding scale, whether it's technical to, to, to read and react. Like everybody exists in every aspect at a different point along the sliding scales there. And it's interesting. I never thought of it in terms of knowing what, you know, what, what it is you're giving up in order to get something that you value in a certain technique or a certain tactic is a big part of the game. And it sounds like you've got a pretty collaborative environment there through training camp and before the season started with your coaches and and with the goalies. Like this sounds like, this sounds like goalie heaven.
3: Yeah, for sure. It actually, like, honestly, a lot of it reminded me of not 360 and just being able to talk through these things. And obviously like I, I'm the new guy coming in. So I'm, Taking in a lot of, of of the information, and I'm able to bounce questions like, "This part doesn't quite make sense to me." Like, like, can we talk through this part and and like make some sense out of it for me? And like, that's where like the collaboration really, really kind of takes hold, right? And like, okay, yeah, that is a negative of, you know, looking over a certain shoulder or, what, or whatever it may be. But it's something that we realize and that when, you know, if a pass out happens, when, when you decide to turn, then you also know what you're taking away and what you have to, what you have to potentially steal instead. And I mean, I think that basically the, the thought process is that you always, you have your eyes on the puck as long as possible and as quick as possible. And at the end of the day, I think for a goalie, it's good to have your eyes on the puck.
1: Yeah, it seems like a pretty, pretty, pretty good idea. Um, how much? How much have you had a chance? You mentioned uh, Matti Valalta. Um, you know, I'm not sure if Jacob Ingham was there or on his way back when you when you were in camp. But um, you know, how much do you look at that role as a guy who's in his ninth season, who has seen you know a lot of these things? Like you said, it, you know, Quick's work ethic might surprise a kid, but you you weren't surprised because that's what the best tend to do is is work really hard. Like how do you view that mentorship role with those guys? How's that how's those relationships started? And how do you sort of find that balance between managing your own game but also recognizing that you know part of the gig is to help these kids?
3: Yeah, I mean honestly it's I I don't it's to me it's like it? a pretty, it's a pretty simple like thing. Like, you know, they're, um, they're guys on your team that you're trying to help, like, right. Like, and I'm not necessarily gonna, you know, go out of my way to fix them. Like, that's not my job, but if they have questions for me, like I'm more than willing to talk to them. Both of them are awesome guys. Like I got to spend time with both of them. Um, super nice kids. And they both like came to me with questions and. I mean, the way I view it is like, I'm just going to answer the questions as openly and honestly as, as possible. Like, and it's funny because like each of them had different questions. Like Maddie would see me doing a stretch and he's like, Hey, what are you really getting at there? Like, I'm trying, he was like, I'm looking at you doing this stretch and I can't quite figure out what it is. So I like explained to him what I was doing. I was like, you know, like I move my foot a little bit this way and I get a little bit deeper into like this joint or. Whatever it may be, and with Jacob, a lot of it was, you know, more like technical or, um, I, I, I guess the best way. Is, so Jacob and I, uh, I and I don't want to. I'm not not necessarily the most technically sound goalie out there whatsoever, but um, Jacob's like pretty technically sound. It's not not gonna like make the toe up skate save, and i actually mentioned this to to billy was like maddie v cal and jonathan quick are all making like toe up glove saves and i'm just like what's going on here like i haven't done that since like peewee and he's like you know what? it's just something like those guys do they're comfortable with and like i was like you know what happened to me like a week into camp, like all of a sudden, like a shot went glove side and I went toe up glove save. And I was like, I haven't done that in 15 years, I bet. And just like watching these guys do it. I just like, it just like whipped into my game from somewhere. But like Jacob and I would talk about stuff like that. It's like, I don't know how these guys do it, but like, like the athletic ability to do it consistently and make saves doing it that way. um, You know, they're pretty, pretty leap. Um at doing it, but it was just funny to me that uh it like out of nowhere just crept into my game just from watching these guys making these incredible toe-up glove saves all the time.
1: Goaltending osmosis. Do you have to be careful sometimes? And are there have there been points at your career where, like you said, like it it does tend I think uh I gotta wanna make sure I credit the right person for this term. Justin Goldman from the goalie guild. I think he once called it shadowing. I, I think that's the right term, and I apologize. I'll have to. Hit him up and ask him if I got that wrong. But just that, or mirroring, like just the idea that when you watch your partner do something a certain way so often, that, yeah, hey, next thing you know, I'm doing that too. And I'm wondering if there's any points in your career where you've, where you've like had that happen and thought, yeah, like that's okay. That's coming into my game, but maybe that's not me. Like you have to be careful sometimes with it.
3: Right. I think
1: toe up, glove save is fine every time, but
3: yeah, I think, I think. (laughs) I think you hit the nail on the head is you have to be careful with it. Right. It's like kind of what we went back to is like collaboration is a good thing. And like mirroring something good about a guy's game can be a good thing. It can be something that you bring into your game that you end up really liking and really um, having success with. But at the same time, you have to be able to realize that just because it works for one guy, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Like, I mean, like being up in Edmonton, like, like Miko's doing the double post seal, like, I can't do that. I'm not big enough to do that. Like, so that's something that, first of all, I don't know if my legs work well enough to be able to mirror it, but, um, it's something that you, you are cognizant of, right? Like it, like I said, like I, I, I made this one toe up glove save out of nowhere and I Im- immediately realized I was like, "Where did that come from?" It's like, "Well, you've been seeing these guys make these six saves all the time. You m- wanted to mix one in on your own."
1: Well, plus you know you gotta you gotta look you gotta show Billy the old school every once in a while,
3: right? Oh yeah, for sure. I love mixing in, like a, a couple old school saves, but um, and I think it's something that it does once in a while come out like in a game. Like once in a while, I'll, I'll just stand and. Like on a, on a low, uh, low angle play, just stand there and put my pads together. And I, I think there's an element of uh, unpredictability that, that helps you. If you're able to be confident in, in your read and in the safe selection itself, that, and that's where, where we get at with uh, more tools in the toolbox doesn't hurt. And you just got to make sure that toolbox is big enough to fit all of them in.
1: It's that fine line, right? Like, uh, if you're standing on the post with both pads together, first of all, I know Nabby, your former coach in San Jose, would be really proud. Um, I also know Devin Dubnik would be happy to see that because, funny, we just did a pro reads with him. And what did we start with? We started with, like, flying poke checks. And as I was cutting the video for it, there were a number of saves where he just did the same thing, like just both pads up. And I guess it's that fine line between unpredictability seems to be increasingly important because shooters are always looking for one particular thing. So yeah, if somebody's no, I, coming down the wing, looking high shoulder and RV expecting you to be an RVH and they just happen to throw it right into you standing there, boy, that looks easy. But do it often enough and they're going to throw one in your feet.
3: That's the one. That's the, it's the RVH and up over your ear on that short side. That's the one I always bring up. And because it's a play that, The RVH is really good at a lot of things. Unfortunately, like that is the weak spot of the RVH, right? And shooters are smart. They've learned that, right? So being able to, you know, I see it all the time, honestly, in summer skates more so than anything is like I'll mix in just a VH when a guy's kind of coming down from a short angle, but above the goal line, just mix in a normal VH, especially on the glove side. And you can just sit there and you can see the guy. You can see the guy being like, I don't have what I thought I had. What am I going to do now? And 10 times, out well, shouldn't say 10 times out of 10, but a lot of times they end up just shooting it where they thought they were going to have space and it just ends up in your webbing and you're like, that was an easy save. Thanks, bud.
1: Nice and again unpredictability. We've heard this theme. Uh, Robin Laner g- g- talked about it a lot a couple of years ago. When we had a long chat. Like I think it's becoming increasingly important in the pro game as the pre scouts and as this entire generation of shooters grows up, knowing what an RVH is, you know, understanding how to not just where to shoot on a butterfly, but how to open it up with certain blade angles and changes and things like that. Showing them different looks matters.
3: Yeah, I 100 percent agree, and I think that. You, you, I can even tell just watching NHL goalies there's um well I don't want to get too much there's a certain certain NHL goalie that you and I know well and might spend some time in Kelowna that has really gotten into using a VH a lot more within the last couple of seasons and uh I think for the most part, like it, like when I watched him, I watched him a lot when I was in Canada. Um, but he uh, seems to be like kind of getting into it because he was more of an RVH guy and he'll use it a lot on his glove side now.
1: So now I got to do my homework and figure out. Like it's a pretty short list. So I, I think I got an idea. But like the fact that I just did Doobie's footage and cut clips of him, and I know that's not who you're talking about while you were in Canada... But he's also a guy that still, you know, I remember doing drills with James Reimer, uh, Devin, and uh, Robbie Tallis. When, when Rhymes was in Florida, Robbie Tallis came up to Kelowna and sharp angle drills and Devin right into, right into you know, VH off the post. Rebounds are going into places where nobody's going to get them. It's, it's still an effective tool above the goal line. For
3: sure. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's something actually like I remember when I got traded to Nashville like like that was one of the things was like why are you in the vh like in this situation and i was like because it works like it's actually great and like when we talked through it um roker was like you know what like i actually love it like i i love like your reasoning behind it like i love like and he's like the biggest thing to me is we have all these tools right and the way I play goal, like, it's very, uh, it's very reactive. And like, I couldn't tell you like in the moment, you know, I, I don't, I don't box myself in, you know, if the guy's here, I'm in an RVH. If the guy's here, I'm in a VH. If he's out there and toes on top of the paint, if he's here, I'm heels on top of the paint. Like, first of all, that's too much brain power for me. Second of all, like, I, like, it's just not the way I can play the game. And for me to be successful, I have to read the game and just trust my instinct. And I think part of, part of that is having a lot of tools in your toolbox to just be able to go with the flow of the game and what feels right in the moment you go with it. And if it's not the right play, you worry about it after and, and you, you address it in video. And it's not really a huge problem until it becomes a pattern. That's the thing, right? And so like, you know what like the shooters are good man like they're trying to score goals they're highly skilled they got good shots like you're going to give up some goals here and there even if you made a good save selection but at the end of the day it's when it's a pattern you're getting beat here a lot when you make a certain save selection like maybe we need to tweak tweak that a little bit i think it's the pattern over you know a period of a few games or you know a few months that that's when you can really For a guy like me, that's when I really like, Okay, this is something we got to we got to address. And other than that, it's just trying to add as many tools to the toolbox as you can and then going out and being comfortable enough with those tools to be able to use them. And then you go out and you play the game and you react.
1: And still at the, at the age 31, after nine years in the league, still looking for more tools in the toolbox. Is that part of what you love about it? That it's that this constant evolution, that it never changes and that there are always new ways to do things.
3: Well, for sure. It's, it's like anything. And in order to have success over a long period of time, you're going to have to change. Cause I mean, the game's constantly changing as it is like, um, you know, you bring up Quickie he's a great example. Like he did change the game, like like the reverse VH or change the game. Like all of a sudden shooters have to adapt to that. And then all of a sudden we have to adapt to them learning how to beat that. Right. So it's, it's constant adaptation. It's just like anything in life, you know, um, you know, Tiger Woods was an awesome golfer, but what was he always doing? He was always changing his swing to be better. Like at the end of the day, if you want to have a long, really successful career, in just about anything, you're always going to have to be willing to adapt and change. And, you know, as I get older, there's things that I could do even five years ago that are a little bit harder to do now. Like, so like you have to kind of be able to constantly adapt.
1: Okay. So speaking of adapting, you had to do a lot of adapting, um, both in terms of geography and travel and teams. And, um, you get put on waivers. We're in the, just, so the Kings can send you down and and have you as an option as taxi squad still requires waivers. You get picked up by Edmonton. We saw the merry-go-round, um, you know, Aaron Dell, Eric Comrie, Anton Forsberg, everybody sort of moved one step around the musical chairs. You get that call. You start driving to Edmonton. What was that process like? What goes through your mind? You've been in pro hockey long enough, but and then why end up driving from Los Angeles to Edmonton? A question I know you've answered already for others, but we haven't heard it here. Like, how do you end up in the car to Edmonton as opposed to hopping a flight?
3: Yeah, so, is it, so we'll start like when I got put on waivers. I, I get put on waivers the same day as actually Mark Alt, who uh, he, he also lives in the Minnesota area. But we first met on our flight out here to Los Angeles. And, uh, like we kind of struck up a relationship right away and, you know, we were both first time we've been in this organization. And, uh, so I was actually staying at Altie's apartment and, uh, we were both on waivers and we were kind of talking about it. And do you think you're going to get picked up? I don't know. I was like, I was looking at it and, you know, Smitty had just kind of had his issue. And I was like, you know what? Like, there's a chance I'm going to Edmonton. like. So I kind of you know after I did my research once I was on waivers I kind of had an inkling that it could happen, and then uh, just getting the Packers played against the Rams the day I got picked up. So actually Darren Granger the the equipment manager here with the Kings he could he could probably send a picture, but he took a picture of me like I came in dressed to the nines with my Packers gear on, and uh, all as so I take my Packers gear off and uh, you know. About to get ready for the day. And I get the call from Blakey, and he was like, Well, you're gonna, you got picked up uh, by Edmonton. And Ken gives me a call, tells me I have to be up there Monday. And uh, I was asking, like, if I wanted to fly out tomorrow. And I was like, Ah, you know what? Like, family's not here. Like, I can pack up pretty quick. I'll just drive it. And honestly, like, the thoughts behind driving were A, that. I didn't have a spot really to leave my car in LA. Like I just met Altie a couple of weeks before, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, if there's a spot to really leave it and have it feel safe um, or what it might cost to store it somewhere here. And the other things were just, you know, just with everything going on, not that I don't feel safe, uh, flying because I did fly out here and ship my car here but I just figured you know it's it's even less contact than flying and I'm going to be in quarantine I might as well be in quarantine for as little time as possible and then I think there's just like a little bit of a comfort thing too right like I got my all my own stuff like I know exactly where it is like it's with me I've got my own car and just kind of a little bit of sense of normalcy going into a situation like that. I think all those things played a factor. And then the last one was that uh, I have a good, f- I played with a few guys over my career from Edmonton, but um, Dan Carr, who I played with last year in Milwaukee. And before that we were in the same class at union. So we were at union together for three years. Um, no cars for a long time. And I, I just kind of knew that, uh, he and his wife Lizzie would, you know, do whatever they could if something happened. And um, it was kind of funny because Lizzie ended up doing my laundry for me while I was up in Edmonton. So um just great people and just knowing that I had someone like that up there, um, where if I, you know, had to go to wherever, Florida on the drop of a dime, I could feel pretty safe just leaving my stuff with them and uh Feeling safe about it. Okay.
1: So now you're on your way to Edmonton, but you had to make a pit stop.
3: Yeah. The pit stop. So the plan was to, I was going to stop once and then make the rest, of it, just do it in two days. So I, I was on the road at about noon. I got to like Ogden, Utah, stopped for the night, and then I kept driving and it was probably around noon again and I was somewhere in the mountains south of Helena. And, uh, my agent called that, uh, the Oilers put a claim in on Deller who like I've played with for a few years in the San Jose system. And, uh, that if I hadn't crossed the border to just stop until waivers go through tomorrow. So I was like, okay, it's like, it's the way it's going. Like, we'll we'll do it. And, uh, so, I the next the next kind of town was Helena, and I was like, like I, I probably got into Helena just before one o'clock, and the uh, so it was Sunday, so that uh, who are the Browns playing? I think the Browns are playing the Chiefs. I'm not exactly sure. But- it's all
1: of. I'm trying to pick of the weeks, and I remember having this conversation with you at the time when it happened. I, mean, I am trying to. I think that I think you're right. That would have been. That's about right. That lines up.
3: So I, I was like, you know what? Like, I'll, uh, I'll grab a couple beers and I'll, you know, watch some football at, in the hotel. And, uh, you know, that's, I'll kind of have a football Sunday and FaceTime some buddies and, and whatever, and watch football. And uh, so I, I grabbed a couple beers and at the, the little gas station, and uh, it was right next to the hotel. And I, uh, I go into the hotel and it's, it's right before one o'clock. Cause I remember being like, okay, let's get this hotel quick. So I can get, get the TV on for kickoff. And I'm one of like two cars in this parking lot. And, uh, I, I asked the guy at the front desk, Hey, I was wondering if I could get a room. And he said, you can get a room, but you can't check in until three. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this place is not full, like clearly not full. Like I think watch the football car, game. My, your car, my car and somebody else's car are in the, in the parking lot. And I was like, all right. And he was like, but uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll reserve one for you and you can check in at three. And I was like, well, what the heck am I going to do for two hours in Helena, Montana? I can't go to a bar or a restaurant to watch these games and so I just – I flicked on the radio in my car and I kind of tailgated. I had, a, I had a beer on my tailgate of my Jeep and listened to the game on the radio old school and uh, did that for the first half and FaceTimed a couple of my buddies and just had a laugh about the situation, right? And then uh, at 3 o'clock was able to check into the hotel and actually watch that game and the next game. And, uh, you know, Lux it was – yep. It was uh, it was what it was, right? And then uh, got to bed pretty early, like, and uh, just ready for whatever happened the next day. And I just uh, I'll never forget. like I, I woke up, I talked to talked to my kids and wife, and then still had a few hours to wait. Like, gassed up the car, was all ready to go. Had nothing Cause, to do because
1: you had to wait for them to figure. You had to wait to know whether they gotten Dell or not
3: yeah, I had to wait till 10 o'clock mountain time. So noon right. Eastern. And so at like nine fifty or so, I like go back in the car, like turn it on. And the funny thing too, was that morning it was snowing there. And I, and like the rest of the drive, it was, it was perfect on the way up. Right. And I was like, okay, of course, like I have to stop and now it's snowing. And then, uh, right at like 10 10 o'clock in like 15 20 seconds i was just scrolling twitter i figured either i'd get a call from my agent or like i'd see something on twitter and i see pierre lebrun tweet dell to new jersey and i just immediately went north and uh like within like 10 minutes the snow cleared up and it was like clear sailing up to edmonton and uh yeah then we were we we're, we're going and uh, got to the border, took a little bit at the border to get my work permit and all that type of stuff, but uh, was up in Edmonton that night.
1: Now, the only downside is you had to quarantine and the Oilers were on their way out of town. So how do you and we saw we saw you on Twitter tonight. I love the advice in front of the television. How do you stay in shape and try and stay game ready at all? without the ability to go on the ice, like what were you doing to try and keep yourself at least some semblance of, of, you know, hockey form.
3: Yeah. At that point, like it's a lot of visualization, which I do across a normal season. Um, but I think when it's kind of the only way to mimic being on the ice, like you have to put a little bit more focus into it. So that was a big, Big thing, just going through different visualization routines and um, kind of just every scenario that like, you might go through in a game. Um, you know, pass outs and power plays and traffic and uh, two on ones, three on twos, like behind the net stuff, just kind of like having that in your mind. And it doesn't even have to be full reactions, right? Just kind of like getting a flow and, and a connection, mind and body to it. Um, so a lot of visualization. I actually didn't start doing like what the video on Twitter, I didn't start doing that until, um, a couple, couple days into my, uh, into my quarantine in Edmonton. Um, but I just remember it hitting me like in Edmonton, like, what else can you kind of do? Cause you know, there's not a ton going on for you. And I was like, you know what, my brother and I used to love like acting out what was happening in NHL games when we watched and we actually, it wasn't even live NHL games. My, we had like an old VHS kind of like highlight, um, video. And like, I don't even know what year it was from, but it was like, there was everything in the, in there from like red army highlights to NHL all-star game highlights. It was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a Don Cherry's, but it was, it was something similar. And, uh, that's what my brother and I always used to do. So like, just kind of reflecting back on that, I was like, well, I'll just like, I'll watch this period of, I don't even remember what the game was. Um, I think it was, uh, I think it was a Winnipeg game. I don't remember who Winnipeg was playing. Um, but I just remember watching it. And I kind of like set up a little mini net and just kind of, you know, for one period, just kind of, went through movements and made saves. And I was like, it's actually a pretty good way to kind of keep your mind into it at least a little bit as, as best as you can. And I was lucky enough too, where up in Edmonton. Um, I didn't have to do the full 14 day um, Canadian quarantine. Cause I was able to get into um, the Alberta health pilot program. So when I drove across the border, I got tested right there. And then, Basically, my drive up to Edmonton, I could only stop for gas and food at a drive-through. But um, I got that result back like probably 24 hours after I crossed the border. So really, only the first day was it like full lockdown in my hotel room, and then after that first day, I could at least like kind of walk around and like I could go pick up some Gatorades and waters at at the 7-Eleven or whatever it may be. Um, so it was just kind of like there were still restrictions on me. Like I couldn't go to, to the Oilers facility and like, couldn't like be around like, you know, I think like five people or something like that, but there were a few restrictions on me still. And also the other positive was a couple days after. So I, I would get tested every other day for the NHL protocol. They would just come to my room to test me. And after like one or two of those tests coming back negative, I was able to work out in the hotel gym, which the hotel, like I was staying at the JW and the 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 gym at the JW there in Edmonton is it like, it's legit. Like it's really <laughs> nice. So um, that helped out a lot in, in terms of just being able to kind of stay on my stuff right away. And it, you know, even now, like in those first two days, like I was able to do like a lot of body weight type stuff in my room um, Adam's great with that. Like, so he's I've got a whole like drop box of of stuff that I can do, just body weight. Um, and it's something that I've had to lean on, obviously, the past few weeks. But um being able to get into the gym and actually like move some weight around and have access to a, a bike and and stuff like that just really helped in terms of I noticed it mostly like cardio type stuff. And, and uh it didn't feel like when I got on the ice, I was out of breath or anything like that. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't, uh, the first eight day quarantine I had here in LA was a little bit tougher just cause you didn't have as much access to stuff like that. Um, so it was almost a little bit easier with that pilot program to be afforded to get out a little bit. And I, I get it. Like, I I understand full reasoning why it can't be, you know, you test negative and you're just released out into the wild. Um, But it was nice to have that kind of like, okay, he's negative. Like the risk is smaller than it would have been if we didn't know what this guy's coming in with. So at least I was able to have access to a few things like that. And then six days or seven days after I crossed the border, I have another test with Alberta health. And when that came back negative, then I was kind of fully cleared, um, out of like the 14 day, um, type protocol or quarantine that it would have been in Canada. So I was able to get on, actually get into the arena and get on the ice and use the team facilities and stuff like that. So, um, overall, like it's a long week, but it could have been a longer two weeks.
1: Okay. And so the and the guys were away, but they come back and, I mean, how many practices did you get in? How many, like, I mean, you've been on the ice with NHL stars, you know, throughout training camps and and uh, past call ups, where maybe you didn't get into a game, but you're, I mean, you've. It's not like it's a foreign concept by any means, but right. it's also it's also never been McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I'm I'm just curious what you know what the first practice is like with. I mean, we all sort of see it from our couches and and marvel at the speed on TV, and yet. I can't imagine what it's like in real life. Did you get a chance to get on the ice and get some practice and see that at see that at at, at full tilt?
3: Yeah, for sure. It was actually funny. So the first like full practice I had with the team, I kind of had like, and I do it a fair amount where like I'll peg like one or two guys, and it'll kind of be like, hey, that guy's not scoring today, like, you know, just like period, like end of story. And like it does like like as the season goes on, it could be like you know you have a bet with a guy on certain days or maybe that guy pissed you off the practice before, like shooting one at your ear or something like that. So tomorrow he's not going to score. But McDavid was like one that I I was like, okay, like that guy, like doing everything I can for him not to score and going out early. He actually, he shot on, uh, on, uh, on us early just for goalie drills. And I was me and, and, and skinzie. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, like we're, we're starting off early and I just <laughs> goalie
1: like, drills like, and McDavid shooting. Wow. I,
3: well, like, and I did, like, I was good. Like, I, I don't want to call McDavid out or anything, but like <laughs> I, I was a hundred percent, uh, you know, through goalie drills and stuff. And actually that practice, they ended up running power plays and he absolutely blew a one timer past me on the power play. But I think that was the only goal in practice. And I was, you know, pretty amped up about it and then uh we <laughs> it was a practice where like he didn't get to do like his thing, right? His thing is like he's moving at a high rate of speed, and he's got a quick release, and it wasn't really a practice that necessarily there was a lot of that going on, but I remember uh the first uh first warm up for a game that I dressed up for like in a, in the half moon, he's able to do what he wants to, and I mean you watch you watch him all the time, right so like i know exactly what like his thing and like I was like okay he does his thing okay he's either like gonna go high cheese he's gonna go over my pad blocker side or he's gonna tuck it five hole and like it happened so fast he just tucked it five hole on me I was like yeah you know, that's why the guy's the best player in the world you knew mm-hmm. he had three things that he was gonna do and he still got it on you
1: Oh man. What, uh, did you get, I mean, didn't, you weren't there long. Did you get much of a chance to work with, with Schwartzy at all? Again, we talk about tools in the toolbox. Is there enough to pick up another tool in those, those few brief practices? Cause he's also chasing, he's got Mike coming back. He's got Miko. He's got Stuart Skinner. He's got a lot of things going on. I wasn't sure how much
3: time. He was yeah. juggling five goalies at
1: once. Right. Dylan Wells was there too. Those are long days for a goalie coach
3: yeah so Schwartzy, yeah Schwartzy was great, you know uh he'd been in touch with me on my way up there, and uh we talked and you know just super nice guy and i uh you know we developed a relationship pretty quick, and uh he' was just kind of open on us with everything going on, and I think that's one of the biggest things and in, in goalie coaches and the goalie and goalie coach kind of relationship is just that openness and honesty um and being able to kind of uh you know, just, just establish that, that trust quickly. And that's something that I feel like Schwartz was awesome at. And, you know, we got out there and we got, you know, as much work as we could um, in the, in this small time frame. I was there. And um, there were definitely a few little things that uh, I think part of it was the first, you know, day or two, like I hadn't been on the ice and just really like, getting back some of the fundamentals, some things that I know what it takes um, for me to be at my best, but also knowing it's not necessarily the thing that like I naturally gravitate to. So like, Take some uh, time. like calming, calming the game down instead of, you know, running a mi- million miles an hour all the time. Like that's kind of one of the things like, like I play a more athletic style and a lot of times like, that has to get dialed down for me to actually have my most success. And when I'm just going out and, um, you know, relying too much on instinct or just going like pure full out, sometimes that's like, okay, dial it in, dial it in, like reel it back a touch. Like it doesn't have to be a ton. Like we want you to be able to get out and take away space, but like you don't have to get out to the top of the circle, you know, that type of thing. So yeah. um just little things like that and I think that's what Schwartz and I focus on really mainly in the first few days and then um once I kind of like got back into it we got we actually got to talk a lot um about you know different philosophies obviously the two guys that are there um you know Smitty and Koski are huge guys right and so like even just some of the warm up drills like um and just just bread basketing things like where they're in like the pucks in the corner and they're in a reverse and like for me that's completely uncomfortable because like I'm not big enough necessarily to get my shoulder like while I'm just like sitting in a reverse like I have to work to get my shoulder up to cut that angle out like I'd much rather just kind of sit there and once you shoot then I'll react to it right whereas it's more comfortable for those guys just block it right off so just being able to talk about little things and little differences and and even just the five goalies that were there um obviously you're not on the ice with all five goalies at the same time but Schwartzy gets to work with all five of those guys and I think just being able to talk to a guy like that who is seeing five different guys every day it it it, it allows him to like keep his mind fresh on like all these different ways of play I like you know smitty's doing this like gross is doing this but like stewie's doing this and i think like for me like that like we've talked about like that's kind of the cool thing is just being able to see what different guys are doing and and what different guys are having success with and you know seeing if i can meld a little bit of that into my own game
1: did you get a chance to meet like his In normal circumstances, you would have had a chance to meet him in Kelowna, but obviously with COVID, you probably, you obviously weren't in Kelowna this summer. I was just because you'd mentioned Adam and the workouts that he gave you. And obviously Smitty's working with him now too. So I wasn't sure if you had any history with Mike Smith, uh, heading into this or if you'd met him through Adam at all.
3: No, I hadn't gotten to meet him yet. Um, Adam had told me when I went up there that, um, you know, he was, he had started to work with Smitty and, um, Smitty was one of the first guys I I got to meet up there just because he was back in Edmonton doing his rehab stuff. And um, just a great guy. Like, um, you know, he's another guy. You can see, like, how hard he works, but, like, just the competitive nature, right? Like, even small things, like, just wanting to play, like, ping pong all the time. Like, just, like, the competitive juices. And, um, you know, that's another thing that I take away. Like, I'm a competitive person. For sure, and it's definitely got got me where I've been. Um, But you can tell, like that's something that, like, that's a big part of who Smitty is. Like, he's a competitor, and um, it just it was just great to see. And he kind of like took me in right away. Like, no need to a guy that's been in the NHL as long as as he has didn't didn't need to kind of you know make sure everything was going good with me. But um, he did. So just great competitor and great human being and you know i i only got to spend a few weeks with him but uh know, yeah, he's a he's a great a guy on my list for sure
1: no obviously it didn't last as long as you'd hoped i knew you were excited about that opportunity i think i was kind of a lot of us were hoping you get an opportunity there It didn't pan out and you end up back on waivers when smitty gets healthy claimed by the kings um I mean there's a team that wanted you. Is there is there an element of going back to a team where this is an organization that saw value in you wanted you to be a part of them like signed you in the off season pretty quick because they saw all those values and knew that you were ready like is there some relief there? And then you got to walk me through the process. You got to you got to share with our audience the process of getting home because when you shared it with me the first time the other day Troy there were moments there where I was like you could have died. Yeah
3: so scary trip man with like the first like I think no matter what like even I knew like when I was in LA once Cal came back like I was gonna have to clear waivers most likely like I didn't think that I was gonna be you know on the roster or anything like that but there's still even knowing that there's still a sense of of disappointment. Like I said, we're all competitors, right? Like we all want to be in the NHL. Like that's, you know, you could do it for as long as you want. You could have getting gotten cut as many times as as I have. It's still there's, you know, it might be a little bit less of a sting and a little bit less of a shock, but as it's happened, but it's still, you know, it still stings. Cause like you said, like at the end of the day, you're fighting for an opportunity. You're fighting for a chance to play in the NHL. But I think part of what did lessen the blow is like, first of all, you know, Kenny, Kenny Holland had been completely honest with me the whole time. And he said, you know, we might end up, you might end up right back on waivers. You know, when Smitty gets back, I don't know. We're going to have to see where the roster situation stands. Like we don't want to lose you. Um, But just the way the rosters work this year, it might be, it might be the, you know, the reality of it. And uh, like I said the first time we talked, like there's humanity in the game. No one wants anything bad to happen to anyone. And, and I think everyone understands the circumstances. And um doesn't it doesn't mean that someone's a, a bad person or they're not thinking about the humanity of the game. It's just it it is what it is, it's the situation that that we live in right now, and uh I think it did soften the blow, like going back to LA where, you know, at least I had some, uh, some familiarity, even if it wasn't, you know, more than three weeks of being here. But um, like I said, like I had talked to Billy and, and Matt and and people in the organization over the summer and, um, you know, knew that, that I had a, that I fit a role that, that they needed. Um, so that, that definitely it was a sense of comfortability um but at the same time it was like you know you felt like you had a shot um to play a game or two in the NHL and uh doesn't look like it's going to happen um that's never gonna it's never gonna feel good um but at the same time you know it kind of fuels the fire to be like you know what like I know I'm good enough to play in the NHL and it's just a matter of time like like the brakes will bounce your way. Like if you keep at it and keep working hard. So um, that was kind of the attitude. But uh, the other thing that was nice is that, you know, Edmonton and and my agent kind of had caught wind that LA would put a claim in on me. Because otherwise, um, when I was on waivers, I would have had to fly with the team to Calgary the night before. And because I had a heads up, I was able to just stay in Edmonton and be able to just drive out instead of having to fly to Calgary, fly back to get my car and then fly out. So um, they, like at the end of the day, everyone involved in the situation, LA, the Oilers, um, my agent did everything they could to, to make a tough situation easier on me. And I think that, that at the end of the day, that does show the humanity in hockey in what, Some people could view as, you know, not, not thinking of the human side. I don't think, I think everyone was very cognizant of the human side of it. It just, you know, it's a tough break. At the end of the day, like if I I really didn't want to, you know, drive to Edmonton, like I could have flown and I could have said, no, I'm not going, like I'm going to retire. Like I could have done all those things. Like those aren't the things I wanted to do. Right. Like it's a, it's a, it's a conscious decision on my part too, um, to do those things. But, uh, if we're getting,
1: Hey, uh, might've been a little safer on the flight.
3: Exactly. And that's what we're getting to now. Like there's as much as I like driving and, uh, I enjoy having all my stuff with me. Um, yeah, the, 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 first day of driving from Edmonton to LA, started to make me rethink the decision a little bit. So I, uh, I actually, so I got on the road relatively early before it was official that LA had claimed me, um, that I was probably near Red Deer. I just knew I was going to have to go South from Edmonton, even if somebody else picked me up. And so I was like, it doesn't matter if I start driving. So I was around Red Deer when it came through that I was going to LA. Um, so then the plan was, okay, just take the same route you got, uh, that you were on uh, on the way up, just take it in the opposite way. And, uh, so I started that and then somewhere around left bridge, maybe just North of left it started snowing. It was so cold. It was such a fine snow. Right. Um, and it was just, I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, this is really like whipping around. It's so easy. Like it's kind of blizzard conditions because it's windy and it's such a wispy snow. Yeah, because it's uh,
1: minus freaking 30, man.
3: Yeah. Well, it was that cool. was the thing too. That was, I got I got a chuckle out of it too. So when I was in Edmonton that morning, uh, it says minus 15 on my car. And I was like, geez, did, I know my car changes like time zones automatically, but did my car just, changed to Celsius automatically when I was in Canada. Like I was like, nope. I looked over. It was like, no, that's an F. That's minus 15 Fahrenheit. And I was just like, oh man, like it's cold out there. I'm glad I'm in this car right now. And uh so I like I I started driving and it wasn't bad. Like Edmonton, Red Deer, even through Calgary, like there wasn't uh wasn't any snow. And then uh as I got a little bit further south, like I started to hit that storm, but um didn't think too much of it and it it was coming down heavier and heavier the roads themselves were not bad right like nothing was sticking to the roads just because it got just whisked away by the wind it's
1: too dry to stick yeah
3: and so i was uh was whipping along pretty good and then when i got south of lethbridge like the roads started to get a little bit worse and uh i was a few miles from from the border there in coots and all of a sudden uh like i get this warning light and it's like uh electronic throttle um uh, need servicing and like when i hit the gas like nothing came and it was like almost like i would break and i was like what is going on like i'm in the middle of nowhere like this isn't good and like i kind of had realized like if i really let it get slow down like i can speed up again but like very slowly but like controlling speed was an issue like if I had to go if like I had to speed up quickly or like go uphill like that was that was a huge issue so I get to the border hand my passport over to the border agent as an American really easy to get in back into the states few questions here there okay be on your way and I said to him I was like hey is that I just got this warning light and my something's going on with my accelerator. Is there anywhere close that I can get this checked out? And he's like, Well, the nearest guy is 35 miles away and he's closed on the weekend. And I was like, Great. So it's, it's Saturday. And I was like, he's like, other than that, you're gonna have to drive 110 miles to Great Falls. And I was like, oh man, like it's kind of like full on blizzard conditions now. And I was like, what am I gonna do? Uh, Maggie starts calling like anywhere she can find in between like the border and Great Falls, and trying to figure it out. She ended up talking to the the people at Jeep in Great Falls, and I had been talking to my parents and actually my dad's cousin uh, works in the service department for uh, for Jeep where I actually bought my Grand Cherokee. So I was able to talk to Derek for for a bit, and he kind of said it could be a couple of things. Your throttle might be freezing up because of how cold it is and the amount of snow you're going through. And he's like, in which case don't stop. Because if you're nowhere close to civilization, like you need to get as close to civilization as you can to get towed. And if you turn off the car, like the throttle might just be dead then because it's too cold. And I was like, okay. And he's like, the other thing is it could be, issue with the air filter having too much snow in it in which case you could stop and you could clear it out a bit um but don't do that because if it ends up being your throttle like you could be you know sol wherever you are and so in the middle of nowhere with in the middle of nowhere kind of in a blizzard and so like i'm trying to go up hills and like it's 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 a blizzard ish conditions and. I'm going so slow that uh, an 18-wheeler passes me in the lane that it's kind of like one lane is, is pretty clear and one lane is very snowy. I'm going so slow that an 18-wheeler decided to pass me in the snowy lane. And I was like, well, that's not a good sign. And when all that snow hit me, like my engine like puttered. And I was like, that was a hint to me. I was like, you know what? It probably is the air filter. Because, like, it was noticeable when that snow hit that side of my car. All of a sudden, like, I had no power. And so I was, like, going up that hill. And I could only get to, I don't know, 25 miles an hour or so. And so I stopped the next, the next place I could. And it was just, like, this little podunk motel and a gas station. That was it. And uh, pulling the gas station. I keep my car running to hopefully keep, it, keep the, the throttle and engine as warm as possible. And I checked the air filter and of course, like it's loaded with snow and even just below the air filter, like where the air intake is like, it's a pancake of snow in there. So I clear that out as best as I can. I, uh, kind of shake it out as best I can. I actually went into the, uh, the bathroom and I, I took the air filter and I just went into the, uh, the hand dryer and just started letting it like just blow all the snow and crap out of the air filter.
1: See, we can laugh at this because you're alive. Cause we're talking to you today. So we know this, so yeah. we can chuckle now, but yeah, man, I would have been flipping out.
3: I I was like, I mean, at this point, like, at least I was pretty con Like before this point, I was like, I was pretty scared about like the situation, but at least like I was in touch with my family. So I knew like what was going on. Plus the Jeep in great falls. Knew what was going on, and I had made it to a spot where I'm assuming at least they had a landline at that gas station, uh, so that I could have called somebody if I really needed to. But, um, so yeah, I clear out the filter and the air intake as best I can. There's still some snow in there, um, and when I started up again, like it's working better, it's still not at 100%, but it's definitely working better than it was, and uh, I'm able to get. Get the rest of the way to Great Falls, and uh, I, you know they got me right in. Those guys were incredible at that dealership because they got me right in, and they they blew out my whole intake system. They got me a new filter. They blew out the old filter and dried it out so that I had a backup filter in case it happened again. Um, and just talking to him, like Bob, his name is Bobby at at Great Falls uh, Chrysler, Deep jo- Chrysler Jeep Dodge um he was just kind of like uh hey is there any chance like you are are you working on a tight schedule or or can you kind of stop for the night and i was like on a kind of tight schedule i'm like i need to get down there like it would make my day tomorrow really really long if i had to stop in great falls but uh i was like when's the snow supposed to stop and he was like well probably around noon tomorrow and i was like that's a little bit too too long and uh I, I played weatherman and kind of with Maggie and we kind of determined somewhere around Butte that I should be out of the snow. And that was a few hours away. And, you know, I was working with a new air, uh, you know, I just got renewed, you know, a new filter, new air, air intake all cleared out. And I was like, oh, I'll risk it and try to get past Butte and see where we're at. And uh, then because between Helena and Butte is pretty mountainy. So I was pretty nervous for a while there. And I was talking on the phone with Maggie and like the snow was coming down pretty heavy. And I was like, it's like, it's pretty hard driving right now, but I got through it, got down past Butte, probably about half an hour past Butte, like the snow kind of cleared up. And then, uh, I checked the, I checked the air filter again. That's when I cut my finger a little bit, but nothing too bad, but, uh, shows how handy I am. And then uh and it got a little bit so we did that and then uh got tied a whole fall, smooth sailing, the air filter was fine, and uh stopped in Idaho Falls for the night and then woke up early the next morning, was on the road, and uh made it made it to LA in time for uh time for the third, well, not the whole third quarter, but a good amount of the third quarter of the Super Bowl. It was funny too because I drove through LA or through Las Vegas as the Kings were playing the Knights at T-Mobile. So I literally drove right past the arena as the boys were playing.
1: A couple but, quick uh, honks. Yeah. Honk and a wave.
3: Anybody need a ride? <laughs>
1: Oh, well, we shouldn't actually make jokes because uh, John Gibson just had to drive to Vegas to uh, join the team on a road trip because he missed the team flight after taking stitches. So you could, you could end up just running a car service for, for professional hockey players between L.A. Oh, and I, Vegas.
3: You know, if there's ever, a, uh, if there's ever another, uh, you know, big uh, virus outbreak and uh, we need a guy to quarantine just to drive people around, I can be that guy.
1: You've got it. You've got it mastered. Well, the good news is you made it home safe and sound. You're now stopping pucks through visualization with the TV on in front of you uh, in Los Angeles for everyone on Twitter to enjoy. And best of all, you've got Maggie and the kids, Beckett and Claire coming down to meet you in the next couple of days. So, um, you know, that would have been tough in Canada, obviously, with the clearances and everything. So there's a happy ending here. Um, but what an adventure, man. Like, holy crap. Like, have you... I know pro hockey is an adventure. We talked to Mike McKenna, obviously, and he went through one last year with bouncing around. But do, do you get any different perspective out of out of the last month, the last three weeks, what it's been like? Does it does it change your mindset or does it just reinforce that drive?
3: Yeah, if anything, it reinforces it. Like it's like it's one of those things. I was actually uh I was talking to Daphna Aronson, who's like the mental skills coach here in LA. And I was like, you know, like it's funny, like as like more stuff has happened, it's almost just like easier to get through. Like, and I'm not saying like the situation in and of itself is easy, but like, it's just kind of like, all right, just add another thing to the list. Like we'll get over this one too. Like it's, it's, you kind of laugh at it and you just move on and you cross that bridge and it's like, Hey, what else do you got to throw at me? Like I'll handle it. And like, I'll prove myself. Like I can get through this one too. And, um, it's uh, the hardest. The hardest, honestly. Like it's become easier as like I've gone through it, and like just talking to Maggie and and that's kind of been having a support system like I have, where I can call Maggie and I can call my folks. I can call my brother any time of the day, day or night. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter what they're going through. Like I know someone is gonna be there for me. Um, that makes things a lot easier too. Like when I was going through that in in Montana, like I literally had talked to Meg and my parents, and like they were doing everything they could to figure out how to get me out of the situation that I found myself in. And just knowing you have backup like that, it's just okay, like right, what else does I have? The world have to throw at me because like me and my team, we're gonna get through it. It's it becomes fun, like almost like as. I don't want to say sadistic, but almost as sadistic as it sounds, it's just like, it's fun to just like get through the adventure and get through the challenge. Right. And just be like, okay, you know, I'm prepared for anything the world throws at me and you know, we, we got this and uh, it's, it's been a crazy few days, but like, crazy few weeks, but um, there's just so much worse stuff that happens to other people that like, If you really like take it back and rewind it? And if this is all I have to get over, like at the end of the day, like that's not that big of a deal. Cause you know, obviously in in the times we live in right now, there's, you know, there's people losing their lives and people losing loved ones. And, you know, not to say that that doesn't happen normally, like, you know, it's just, it's not that big of a deal um, to go through what I've gone through. when you compare it to the situations other people have to deal with and any any situation I find myself in, I know that the people around me will help me get out of it. Do we hope there's one less bridge to cross? Of course, but we'll cross any any bridges that you put in our way. And uh, hopefully that leads to to another uh, shot in the NHL someday.
1: That's great perspective, Troy. And I see the other part of that perspective is a bad bounce off a defenseman's ass that on a puck you didn't see is probably going to feel like just not that big a deal anymore compared to, <laughs> again, perspective, right?
3: That's true. It's all perspective, man. Like, it's funny, like, you know, and I've noticed that over the last few years of my career. I think it's one of the things that has helped me had success is I like, I think a lot of the bad year, the really bad year I had, like, it was just taking a lot of the bad things that happened at the rink with you and then that kind of manifests and you grip your stick too tight that type of thing whereas you know if you learn to to table those type of things and just go about your business and control what you control and you know when you're not at the rink being able to just enjoy your family um you know that helps to put things a lot in, in, uh, put you in the right frame of mind and, uh, really be able to enjoy the fact that at the end of the day, like I play a game for a living, like how, like when you put it that way, like how stupid does that sound? Like I get to play a game for, and, and be able to support my family doing that. And, um, like how much luckier can you be? It doesn't matter like the other obstacles that go into it.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, like I said, well said, great perspective. And thank you for taking all this time to share it with us. Because I, you know, you know, like there's going to be a lot of people that will find perspective in, in that as well, Troy, and that you were able to approach it that way. And also the other thing is, I think it's important, you know, to everyone who's listening, I'll get on a little soapbox here. We all want our hockey and our entertainment and our sports. Um, and you're right, you're, you know, you get to play a game for a living, but you, you've you been away from your family. You're going to see them tomorrow night. You've been away from them for almost two months now. There's a sacrifice here that professional hockey players are making so that the rest of us can watch hockey. And then for guys like me that that work in the game, can work and have a job. And so, you know, as much as you're, you, you're right, you get to play a game for a living, I think it's important that those of us who rely on that game for whether it's for income or entertainment or a relief from everything else that's going on in the world, say thank you for the sacrifices that you guys make to have the show go on.
3: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, when I hear what you, you speak of, because I mean, at the end of the day, uh, without the support of the fans and stuff like that, like I don't have a job either. So what I think, honestly, like, it, it's, it's a mutual respect thing. And I, I don't know, you know, you look at the world today and I it's different in Canada, obviously, but you look at, at what has gone on in the United States over the past year and, you know, it's, and really over a year. Um, but it, it, it's the mutual respect and the respect for your neighbor that it really comes down to. And, you know, realizing that, what I think is a big deal could be a big deal to me. And if it's not a big deal to you, that's okay. But if it's a big deal to me, like, and you consider yourself a good person and good neighbor, like you need to be there to support. And if not just respect that person's wishes or ideas. And at the end of the day, if there's more respect in the world, um, more understanding in the world, the better world we live in.
1: Well, much respect from us. Thanks for spending the time and enjoy the family. I know, like I said, I know it's been a while since you've got a chance to see, uh, to see Beckett and Claire and uh, I know how much you're looking forward to it. So thank you so much. And Maggie, uh, enjoy that. Have a great little family reunion and we can't wait to see you playing hockey again once you're out of that quarantine.
3: Sounds good. Thanks, Woody.
0: You ever have a car breakdown in the middle of nowhere?
1: I, you know what? I was, I, I was trying to remember. I don't think I have. I think I'm, like, I should knock wood as I say that, especially when you think about your younger years when you had cars yeah. that were a little less reliable than now that we're old and adults and we buy things like minivans to haul people around. Or, um, or you'd have thought, I'm never going
0: to run out of gas. And then, then you do.
1: Yeah. You know what? As a kid, I had a diesel and oh. they scared you so much about what would happen if you ran out of gas and a diesel. I used to have a turbo diesel Volkswagen Rabbit 1984 with European bumpers and a little air dam. And oh, yeah, yeah, it was sweet. Um, Thing blew giant plumes of black smoke out the back (laughs) when you hit the gas. Like, I apologize. I killed killed a good chunk of of, uh, our environment in my youth. But they scared you. Don't run out of gas because you'd, you'd actually have to, I guess they used to scare you, like you'd actually have to have a mechanic prime certain parts with the diesel again if you ran it dry. Mm. So I never I never took that chance. And diesel, right? Only certain stations had it. So you were like, like you are pre-planning your whole freaking week around making sure you had enough gas in that thing. And of course, you know, as a kid and as a high school student and going into college with that thing, you know. You only had sometimes 10, 12 bucks to put you couldn't fill it every time, nobody could do that, right? So, yeah. I, my whole week was based on not running out of gas, so none of those moments. But, man, as Troy's telling that story, the first time he told me that story, I, I was scared for him in moments. I'm like, okay, I'm talking to you, so you're
0: alive, but like <laughs> yeah. that could have been a near death experience, buddy. That's a little freaky. Those, uh, those moments where he's probably thinking, what am I doing here? Like, how did I get here? I uh, chasing the dream, of course, but also. There has to be that moment where he's like, really? What?
1: Well, I love that he and and we just heard him come back to it, but I love it instead of what am I doing here and how did I it's how am I getting through this? Yeah. And it was his support team that delivered it. Now there's a lot of comparisons between all the people that he had stepping up guiding him through this blizzard this whiteout conditions with a car that was behaving scarily bad and and the potential for being stranded those same people have, have helped guide him to this point in his career and you know I've talked to some goalie coaches that have watched him over the past couple of years there's a lot of people that really do believe he's ready for this opportunity and if he gets it in the NHL he's going to make the most of it at 31 and Um, I just, you know, you just got to have faith that he's going to get that. I thought it would be in Edmonton, but it's coming. And, uh, all the people behind him and all the, all the work he's done. Um, you just, you just, I just have this really deep belief that he's ready for it. And he's going to show a lot of people that he is.
0: We'll keep everybody updated on Troy's journey. Also want to remind everybody about this Sunday and the Arena webinar.
1: Yeah, Um, check out all our InGoal social media channels. Uh, keep an eye out for an email if you're a subscriber to our free weekly newsletter. We'll have a special email coming out to announce it. Um, it's going to be Sunday. I don't have a time pinned down. Like I said, we've got we got a, we got got an NHL practice schedule we're dealing with here and got to make sure that we give enough time for our special guest to sort of get off the ice, get back to his hotel room and be set up for this. We've got to give him enough of a window so the time's a little to be determined, but we'll have that out and make that public in the next day or so. Um, so you don't want to miss this one. If you've ever thought about it, if you just want to learn more about it, if you've just got questions about it or if you just want to hear what an NHL goaltender, his experiences, this guy's been in quarantine a few times this year. So he's used Sense Arena to get through it. Um, what his experiences are like as a goalie in quarantine with and without Sense Arena, make sure you tune into the webinar in goal in person. Uh, and we're working on, uh, we're working on bringing a few of them back. Um, uh, a few more of these, uh, working on trying to find our spots in these these crazy busy nhl schedules where we can have some nhl goalie coaches join us the plan is hopefully once a month um but like much like this plans are hard to pin down in such a crazy world but we're working on it
0: yeah just tell the nhl schedule maker all about plans being moved around uh, they know all about that right now and uh, they're doing their best uh, we are enjoying this uh this wonderful uh, world of COVID, uh, the best that we can, embracing uh, all the uh, adjustments that we have to make and uh, trying to actually use it to uh, to your advantage when the guys are in quarantine or guys are in hotel rooms. Maybe we can catch up with them a little bit more. Uh, thanks to Sense Arena for the feature interview with uh, Troy Grosnick, as well as The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey. For the presenting uh, sponsor of Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, David Hutchison will be back with us next week off his assignment. Uh, join us on Sunday for the Sensorino webinar, and we will chat with you uh, next week on Ingul Radio, the podcast.